Welcome. Welcome in to Sports Talk Chicago. All gas, no brakes. If you're looking for the same old sports talk, get out. You've come to the wrong place. Hey, we ain't come this far just to come this far, you hear me? I tell you what I see, I tell you the truth. We going hard today. We're fearless, bold, and highly opinionated. This here show. This show is so hot right now. The biggest guests, the hottest takes, and the best interviews live right here. Do you actually remind me of Dan Patrick? Because you ask great questions, you have the knack, you have the gift. On Sports Talk Chicago. Yo, Chicago. Here's your host. The guy's an absolute stud. John Zagul. Hello, everyone, and welcome into Sports Talk Chicago with John Zagul. Brownie points, if you've already figured out that this voice is not John. That's right, it's Joy Christopoulos subbing in for John for the next show or two. So excited and honored to be on here today. Producer John Meadows is here. We're here to have a fantastic show today, talking Bears and baseball. Before we get started, we got to talk about our fantastic affiliates. I can't believe it. Sports Talk Chicago continues to spread, and we have so many different affiliates to thank, like 98.3 The Life, WKAN, 105.5 The Ticket, ACTV, TV or Jed TV, WJOB, Cities 92.9, Talk FM, and most recently welcoming us on board, 1011 Peoria Sports Radio. Thank you everyone so much for tuning in right now. My name is Joey Christopoulos. If you want to, you can follow me on socials at Joey Sports Guy. Um, for those that aren't too familiar with me, I host Believe in Bears with former Bears defensive end Corey Wooten on the Believe Sports Network that airs on Sirius XM. But so excited to be here today. Rockin' Solo, we have a fantastic guest coming up. What's on the menu for today's show? Well, we're going to talk a little Bears, and we're going to talk a little baseball. Uh, we have coming up here L.A. Football Network's very own Ryan Dyroods coming on to the show. He is a USC insider. We're going to talk all kinds of Caleb Williams. So if you want to get your intel on that, make sure you stick around. And then at the very end, I'm going to do the very best I can to not completely blow my top and talk some Chicago White Sox and Chicago Cubs baseball. But first, I want to get started here, and I want to talk about a little something. And I, what I want to do is I want to call this segment Perspective, and I want to call this segment Patience. So let's talk with about perspective and patience here on the show. First off, previously on, Justin Fields versus Caleb Williams. Um, for those of you that maybe don't go on social media or talking with your friends, what we seem to have is two very, very distinct camps right now. The first camp, the Caleb Williams camp, the camp that believes that he is the next generational prospect, a guy that hasn't played a snap in the NFL. But hey, if you don't think you have any concerns about Caleb Williams, well, you are, sir, less intelligent than you actually think that you are. I'm trying to be nice here in terms of the personal insult. On the other side, in the other ring, the Justin Fields fans. Now, as John is so great about doing on this show, Justin Fields' numbers simply aren't good enough, and the inconsistency has been evident the last couple of years. But don't tell that to Justin Fields fans because it's been everybody else's fault and not Justin. And if you feel otherwise and if you want to draft Caleb Williams, you are of a lesser intelligence. So let's just stop right there, okay? Today I want to mostly just talk about Caleb Williams. Because for those of you that don't follow me, I'll be perfectly honest and transparent with you. I'm believing Bears with Corey Wooten. I talk a lot about how, especially since the season ended, about how the Chicago Bears 
can find success with Justin Fields at quarterback if they traded the number one pick. I can wrap my head around a scenario where the Chicago Bears in the next two or three years, two or three years, can be NFC North contenders with Justin Fields under quarterback. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've been in the sports business now for the last five or six years. Um, I've been lucky enough to talk to and make some connections um, within the NFL. Some of them work for some teams. Some of them are working more in the journalism department. But I'm here to tell you today that every person that I've heard, leave Twitter aside for a second with the Justin versus Caleb. Every person that I've talked to in the journalism industry, every person I've talked to in the NFL, um, whether they do work for a team, um, a front office or a front office adjacent, I haven't talked to a single person that has said that the Chicago Bears are going to keep Justin Fields. Every person in the know right now that I have talked to has said that Caleb Williams will be drafted number one by the Chicago Bears and they will find a trade partner for Justin Fields down the road. Can things change? Of course. When I ended the season, did I think maybe it was more of a 50-50? Could it be keeping Justin? Could it be keeping Caleb? Sure. But right now, as it stands right now, I would probably have to put that. Justin Fields staying with the Bears is probably somewhere closer to about 10% right now. It's that overwhelming that the Chicago Bears are going to take Caleb Williams. So for those listening or maybe watching on YouTube about to comment, knock yourself out. Maybe you were right all along. But here's the thing. Once you're right, Caleb Williams fans, the people who think Justin Fields is trash, once you check that box that you were right and you got validated, we have to take the next step. And that's what I want to talk about here today is that next step. And that's where we're coming into the land of perspective. Now, when we talk about Caleb Williams, you hear a lot of kind of the same phrasing, a lot of the same words, right? We've heard the word generational. We've heard the word unique ability. Obviously, we've heard of arm talent. And then the other one, and this is the one that bugs me the most, and this is the one that I want to talk about. We constantly hear with Caleb Williams, within the same 10 or 15 words of uttering that name, we also hear the words Patrick Mahomes. And I implore you people, for the sake of your fandom, for the sake of sanity, for the sake of the future of this young kid who hopefully is going to be the Chicago Bears quarterback, and out of respect to the greatness of Patrick Mahomes, we need to keep his name out of the conversation. This is about perspective. It is not fair at all. I get it. It's a tantalizing comp, right? He makes plays off script, fantastic arm strength, different kinds of angles, and obviously he has some numbers that have been very gaudy the last couple of years that are very similar to Patrick Mahomes. But to illustrate the possible potential of Caleb Williams meeting the expectation that you're putting on him already by comparing him or even throwing him in the same sentence as Patrick Mahomes just simply isn't fair. And again, it's disrespectful to a guy named Patrick Mahomes. Think about it like this. If I said to you right now, Caleb Williams on the Chicago Bears will be 33% of what Patrick Mahomes already is in the NFL, would you take it? And you say to yourself, wow, 33%, that doesn't sound like a high number. Did we actually really get there? Well, if you're Patrick Mahomes, 33% means that you have at least one Super Bowl already in your pocket. I think Chicago Bears fans would take that. That's how amazing Patrick Mahomes has become. He would already get us one Super Bowl at 33% of what Patrick Mahomes has already put out. Now, look, 
I just entered my 40s, guys. I turned 40 last month. Hooray for me. But we've been through this, Chicago sports fans. And if you haven't, let me try and enlighten you a little bit, all right? There was a guy in this town in the 90s, and we called him Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan, much to the same trajectory, I'm not saying Patrick Mahomes is there, but I can start putting at least Patrick Mahomes in the same paragraph as Michael Jordan, all right? I don't think Caleb Williams should be on the same page as Patrick Mahomes right now. It just isn't fair to the kid. But Patrick Mahomes, very similar to Michael Jordan, is a unicorn. He's a one-of-one. He's an incomparable right now in NFL history. He just is. He's had the best start to his NFL career, better than Brady, better than Montana. He's got the stats to prove it. He's got the rings to prove it, okay? And we've seen this before in Chicago. His name was Michael Jordan, all right? Mahomes, it isn't just flashes, right? Three Super Bowls, five straight AFC championship games. The dude is becoming as automatic as it is in the NFL. He needs to be a separate part of the conversation. If you think you're even going to get a whiff of that, Bears fans, you should be elated for Caleb Williams, but stop comparing him to Patrick Mahomes. It just isn't fair. Look, we lived through the next Michael in the 90s. For those of you that might not remember, Harold Miner, LOL, Tracy McGrady. Vince Carter. I mean, even Kobe Bryant got those comps, and it took him many years even just to get five titles to even sort of catch that whiff of, well, you know, he sort of embodies the spirit of what Michael played with, all right? So if those guys couldn't even get there, why are we expecting Caleb Williams right off the jump to even play remotely close to Patrick Mahomes? Why are we even uttering it in the same sentence? Caleb Williams will be a rookie next year, all right? A rookie. First-time caller. First time caller to the show. He's going to be seeing this all for the new time, for the first time. There's going to be bumps in the road. It's going to go up and down. And I want to ask the audience today, it's not just Justin versus Caleb. If it's for the Caleb Williams, if he's going to be under center for the Chicago Bears, my question for those that are pounding the table and getting excited for him is just ask yourself, what is the expectation? And place some perspective and patience upon that expectation. Kid's going to be seeing it for the first time. All right. Now, look. Immediately, everyone's going, well, C.J. Stroud last year, you can't just name drop anomalies in NFL history and expect the same similar result in your situation. I think Cam Newton, C.J. Stroud, some of those guys were some of the first rookies to really pop in their first year. But if you look, there are a lot of guys out there, a lot of guys that struggle in their rookie season. Now, let's just take, for example, the less generational talent that we had in the NFL, Trevor Lawrence, a couple of years ago in the Justin Fields draft. Just to get some perspective, through 26 starts of Trevor Lawrence's career, the dude had only thrown 23 touchdowns. He had thrown 23 interceptions and had a 6-20 and record. Does that sound familiar, Bears fans? Now, to Trevor's credit, he turned it around. They made the playoffs. He ended up throwing 25 touchdowns to only eight interceptions in his second season. Last year was a bit of a meh. We'll still see what happens. But look, when we're talking generational talent, this stuff takes time. Now, look, I'm not sold on Trevor Lawrence. And I think there's more potential in Caleb Williams than anything about a Trevor Lawrence. But I'm just pouring over some tape here. And I'm just asking Bears fans to just really kind of adjust. Once Caleb Williams is on the roster, what is your expectation? Caleb's numbers in college are undoubtedly impressive, okay? We're going to throw some numbers out here. 72 touchdowns, only 10 interceptions the last two seasons, right? 
8,170 passing yards, 67% completion percentage. These are elite, incredible numbers. Now, how, no matter how many people want to talk about the Notre Dame game, Caleb Williams can throw the rock. He threw a ton of passes in college and had a lot of success doing it. But again, don't compare him to Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, numbers in college. The last two seasons, 77 touchdowns, more than Caleb. 25 interceptions, fair, more than Caleb, but 9,705 yards. I mean, I look, we can go through all day long, Pac-12 defenses, Patrick Mahomes, what he was doing at Texas Tech, running around with his hair on fire, but let's be honest, these aren't, neither of them are going up against a ton of SEC or Big Ten defenses, okay? Some of these are some cupcakes on there, and Patrick Mahomes' numbers are even better than Caleb's, and there was more doubts about him coming out of college. So we just can't put him in the same sentence, guys. This just isn't fair, okay? You want Caleb to succeed? Give him the patience that he deserves, which probably means, guess what? All of next season. I know that we're expecting playoffs. I know that Eberflus is going to be on the hot seat. But Caleb Williams is going to be a rookie. There are going to be some valleys in there, as well as there's going to be some peaks. And I'm just telling you right now, the more that we keep throwing out... Well, he's, he's like Mahomes. He plays like Mahomes. We need our Patrick Mahomes here in Chicago. I'm warning you, you're not going to get it. And that's okay. If Caleb Williams is a tier below Patrick Mahomes, just one tier, that means he's in the category with the Joe Burrows and the Josh Allens. And guess what? You got yourself a chance to win a Super Bowl. Just don't say his name with Patrick Mahomes. It's not fair. It just isn't fair. We can't do it to the kid, okay? And we can't also look back hindsight next year and say when things go wrong, you know, well, what is it? Does he have enough weapons, this and that, whatever? It might just take time, people. And I just want to get that out there now because as we go through this whole thing, I think a lot of what's going on is there's a lot of people that want to be right on this. There's less people that just care about the Chicago Bears being successful, and there's a lot of people on social media that want to tell you that they're right and that you're wrong. I'm not here to tell you that either of you. I'm just asking you guys, the listeners out there, to have some perspective when it comes to this, okay? Caleb Williams is an incredible talent. We're about to hear about that incredible talent in just a few moments when Ryan Dyru joins us on the show for segment number two. But I'm telling you guys, we can't expect the world from this kid right off the bat or you will be disappointed. And what happens when you're going to be disappointed? Are you going to be patient? Are you going to let this kid grow? You see a lot of guys in the NFL, Jalen Hurts. I mean, I think it took, what was it? I'm pretty sure it took Joe Burrow at least five or six games to throw his first 300-yard passing game, all right? You know, what if it is a little uneven those first couple of weeks, all right? We have to be able to roll with this kid in the same way that we supported Justin Fields, or you know, at least I tried to support Justin Fields, is the same way that we're going to have to support Caleb Williams. Once you make that switch, you are going to need perspective and you're going to need patience. We're going to take a quick break right now. Coming up next, stick around. USC Insider, LA Football Network's very own Ryan Dyrude coming on to talk about that very man, Caleb Williams himself. We're going to get the inside scoop talk about the likes the dislikes um, and get excited all about that stick around we're coming right back right here on sports talk chicago
Welcome back in, everyone, to Sports Talk Chicago with John Zaglul. Joey Christopoulos filling in for John today. Producer John Meadows at the controls. We want to bring in a fantastic guest here right now. He is LA Football Network's very own USC insider, Ryan Dyrud. Good friend of my uh, my other program, Believe in Bears. Great to have him back on the show. How are you today? My brother, doing great. Thanks for having me. It's uh, I've been blessed to actually be on a few different Chicago affiliated radio stations throughout the years. So I'm glad to be on another with you and, and couldn't wait to talk about this topic. So thanks for reaching out. Ryan, we need you more than ever. We need we need the West Coast uh, more than ever during the during this time because obviously a lot of the talk here in Chicago is centered around Justin Fields versus Caleb Williams. Uh, let's just start here, man. You got back from Radio Row at the Super Bowl uh, just you know what is it two weeks ago coming up on now, and uh, my first question for you is. Uh, you know, you're talking to a lot of people, you're interacting, obviously you're talking a lot about Los Angeles sports, but I mean, was there a little bit of a buzz? Is there a Justin versus Caleb? Was there conversations that you heard out there? And uh, what did those go about? How did those go a little bit? Yeah, well, I, of course there's a buzz. That's what everyone's talking about. When you have the number one overall pick and you have a, a prospect like Caleb Williams, but you also have a prospect that you just drafted three years ago, like Justin Fields. It's, I'm trying to think, Joey, like if there's been an instance I guess you could go back to the Cardinals when they took Josh Rosen 10 and then decided to take Kyler Murray first the very next year. Um, so that wasn't too long ago, but there hasn't been many times when a, when a team took a quarterback early, had the number one overall pick again. And then that was like in the forefront. So, you know, I think that what's to your question, the buzz is, is very, I, I want to say split, which I'm sure it might be in Chicago too. You obviously would know better than me, but there's definitely a contingency that's like, Hey, I think Fields has shown enough that he can be the guy if you give him the right coordinator, you give him the right weapons. You know, Caleb is still just a prospect. We've never seen him in the NFL. We've seen three years of Justin. Can he improve? And then there's a side of like, this guy, Caleb, is a generational prospect that if you pass on him, it's a fireable offense. So it's very split. We won't know until the, the pick is made or the trade is made, which is what we're going to get into right now. But yeah, the buzz is palpable, but it's it's definitely split. Well, Ryan, you know that the the biggest uh, QB controversy in the NFL, and that we're probably going to have this year, is Kyle Orton versus Rex Grossman. Uh, We all know that that was was the last one, and now we have it back here in Chicago right now. Uh, You're bringing up an interesting point because what I think it is, and probably why we've seen a lot of vitriol and a lot of polarizing um, opinions of Justin versus Caleb is what you mentioned. It's an incredibly unique situation. Very rarely do you have a team... First of all, it's not their number one pick, right? We got it from Carolina with a fantastic trade that I still think the Chicago Bears did the right thing last year, trading, passing on C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young to trade that pick to get D.J. Moore, to get Donald Wright, to get Tyreek Stevenson, and the first-round pick this year that turned into the number one and the second-round pick next year. I think that trade's working out. But now it puts them in this really unique situation where I think it has a lot of fans you know, leaning towards maybe one side or the other where I'm a little bit more of a centrist on the whole situation. I don't think Justin Fields is a trash quarterback, and I don't think Caleb Williams is the next Patrick Mahomes necessarily because I think that that's unfair to Caleb Williams. You're coming off our first segment here, Ryan, is I just talked a little bit to Chicago Bears fans about the perspective of, look, Caleb Williams, I think he has all the talent in the world, but already throwing the word Patrick Mahomes within the same vicinity of him I think is unfair to the kid. So before we get to Caleb, I just want to hit Justin just really quickly from your outside perspective from the West Coast. Um, how do you view Justin Fields, the player? Um, what did you see from him last year? And kind of like putting stock on him right now, where you land? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I go back and forth on it. Like if I'm, and let's just take the first pick and Caleb Williams out of the equation so we can just focus on kind of what is there. And I, there's obviously still talent there. I mean, the dude is, a, is an unbelievably talented guy. Um, athletically, he's got great arm talent. I mean, all stuff that you and your listeners know. Have I seen enough where I'm like, okay, this is the guy? I don't, I don't know if I'm there yet. And it's not, again, because of talent. But there's been some injuries, obviously, when you look at, you know, just the actual production based on time plays, plays played, you know, the touchdown production versus, you know, timeout. Like, do I feel good about, OK, we're coming up to the the getting close to where we're going to extend him. Do I feel good shelling out 250 plus million? Because guess what? In two years after his fifth year option. Regardless if he's great or not, that's what the market's going to be. So do I feel good paying Justin Fields $50 million two years from now uh, as an average per year? I'm not there yet. Do I think he can be a very good quarterback? Do I think even next year as the starter in his fourth season can lead the Bears to some victories? I do. But it's it just that that conversation, is it worth that risk or do we reset the market with a rookie quarterback again? It Will it be way worse than what we were last year? I mean, that's what we'll probably debate about next, but I just don't know if I'm ready to say this is the franchise guy based on the three years I've seen, mostly because of injuries, time missed. And when you look at the production versus the turnovers or whatever, what is it? 40 total turnovers to, you know, a a similar touchdown. So the ratio is not great. Um, Again, a lot of that I'm sure is because of play calling Luke Getze, who's not there anymore. And, and so you would know better than me, but just from the outside looking in and based on what I do know, which. I know we were taking that out of the equation. Um, I don't know if I'm ready to say, hey, this is the guy that I'm I'm breaking the bank for moving forward. And to your point, when you have a unique situation coupled with the financials that are coming up, it all starts to build towards this incredibly franchise-changing ch- move. You know, Ryan Poles, he can, he can be right, and he can be kind of right. You know, let's just say he takes – Caleb and Justin is still good and they're both good and he's kind of right. The problem is that he just, he can't be wrong. Right. Yeah. And that's the biggest problem here. When you have the unique situation with the financial component, um, it just really makes it for um, a situation that we're going to be talking about all the way up to the NFL draft. When it comes to Justin too, as well, when you were talking about the not enough thing. Um, so I've been trying to um, exercise a little bit more in the springtime, um, get my winter body and get it ready for the spring. So I've been running a lot on the treadmill and I've been w- just trying to watch a lot of tape. That's kind of my opportunity to watch as much as I can. Just recently watched um, some highlights of Justin Fields from last year, uh, just just for funsies, just for something to do. And the funny thing was, it also reminded me too as well that Justin Fields had some opportunities where he could have had some signature wins last year, but the Chicago Bears blew 10-point leads. I think in the game versus the Lions off the top of my head, the game versus the Broncos, Justin Fields played fantastic in those games, but when you come back and then you blow a 10-point lead and lose, I think fans and I think also evaluators tend to also quickly forget maybe some of the momentum that he was building at that particular time. Um, and maybe it was lost on Justin Fields, too, a little bit as well. So the stage is set. We kind of know a little bit of where we are with Justin. We've talked about the financials. I want to move over to Caleb Williams right now. Um, let's just start at the beginning, my friend. Let's go to page one. Um, Caleb Williams, he transfers from Oklahoma to USC. You're a diehard USC fan and analyst, and you've been covering the team for a long time. What was your initial reaction to Caleb Williams before him even taking a snap at USC? Well, I mean, home run, we saw him come in freshman year at Oklahoma with Riley, um, took over for 
um, Spencer Rattler. And, you know, as a, as a true freshman, you could see the dynamism that he had and then just the pop off the ball, the command of the huddle. And so when, when Lincoln Riley came to SC, it was, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion that uh, he would, he would be following him here. Now that was right when NIL was brand new. USC, we've talked about this on our show all the time. USC still to this day is behind, but they were very behind on the NAL landscape. And so there was actual other offers that he was getting for way, way more than SC. He took the basically approach of like Lincoln Riley is who I want to play for and will get me to the next level, which I think was the right move for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was definitely excitement. And we saw what they did in year one together, you know, winning 11 games from a four win season the previous year. Um, just the, the, the fun plays that he did, which we'll get into and, and, you know, how he's able to bring USC football back to LA back on the map. And then last year, you know, obviously the letdown as a, as a ended up being an eight win program, he didn't play in the bowl game, but seven wins with him at the helm and, you know, kind of it's, it's ironic, right? Like you talk about Justin Fields just a minute ago about how could have had some signature wins, if not the rest of the team and the org let him down. And Caleb Williams is, is much the same. I mean, the offense was still third, third in the country, um, his output was top five among all quarterbacks and the USC defense was historically one of the most putrid defenses college football has ever seen. And so uh, a lot of that I think is to people will say like, man, what a down year for Caleb. It really wasn't that much of a down year for him. It just, the wins were down and the culture of the football team was down because of kind of what happened on defense. And then that just cart compounded down on everything so we'll get into all of it but just from your initial question i mean definitely him coming into la was it was a huge move it bolstered the team bolstered the culture and it's something that he can bring i think to whatever nfl franchise drafts him was caleb's heisman year the the first year that he was at usc was it too good was it too elite did it set a bar that perhaps was almost unattainable last year i know that we can talk about the defense with usc Mm -hmm. and but, I mean, did he really kind of set himself up for a version of maybe a little bit of a letdown uh, amongst uh, evaluators and maybe some fans as well? Yeah, I, 100%. And it's a great question. And we talked about that on our show. Like, after that season, A, the team overperformed. I mean, you go, like I said, go from four wins to 11 wins, a New Year's six appearance. Um, and then B, Caleb, just the historic season he had and winning the Heisman. It's like, how do you how do you improve from that? And he was obviously forced to play another year, only being a sophomore that, a true sophomore, so couldn't go to the draft yet. There was really no way to go up from that. And so any drop-off at all is like red flags everywhere, when in reality it's like, well, you know, you lose Jordan Addison to the first round, his receiver. You lose some offensive line pieces. Um, you have some – you lose a running back in, in Travis Dye, who was a big focal point of the offense a year a year ago. So it was, it was never going to be, or it was going to be really challenging. I should say to even equal what he did. So yeah, it was kind of set up and well, there's really no way to, to improve on this. And everyone's obviously going to look for the negatives then from there. You go and you're putting up 45 points a game, but your team's given up 48. There's, there's a, there's a mentality there that as a competitor, um, I can imagine has to be really frustrating for a player like Caleb Williams and for a guy who, when we were talking about it like this, maybe that next step was them somehow getting into that final four, getting into that CFP. And maybe that was it, right? Because you can't, you can't, you already won the Heisman. I mean, you can win two Heismans. That's great. You could throw for more touchdowns. That's awesome. But maybe the wins, maybe that was the next factor there. Um, I want to ask you a question. I think this one's going to be instructive for Bears fans um, that maybe don't watch a lot of college football. Um, sometimes you'll hear, a quarterback that comes out of college and you'll hear this phrase of, well, you know, he thrived in said coach's system. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes in college, these guys are running wide open. The safeties are going to be, you know what I mean? They're going to be lawyers next year. And so that's why wide receiver X maybe shouldn't be graded at the same level, blah, blah, blah. So I just want to ask you about the Lincoln Riley factor. Um, do you think, I mean, take this in whatever direction that you want, because I'm just curious, you know, do you think Lincoln Riley was certainly an asset to accelerate Caleb's skills? Do you feel like his offense helped Caleb do you think it maybe held him back at times or maybe that led itself into that hero ball a little bit just talk about the Lincoln Riley factor with Caleb Williams and it is it that is it a substantial pairing that would maybe make it a different look for Caleb Williams in the NFL yes another another great thought that you know this will be this will be his biggest like evaluation for the Bears and and you know I'm sure that'll be in the combine you know on the whiteboard interview stuff like that so strictly talking Lincoln Riley it's my opinion, and I think most around the league would agree, he is probably the best offensive mind in college football. What he's able to do, um, getting those receivers open, you know, he runs an air raid style, but it's not true air raid. It's kind of a misconception. Mm-hmm. We had Mo Hassan on, who was, you know, the backup UC quarterback for many years, and he really went into like, look, it, it is not the Hal Mummy, Graham Harrell system. It's, it's, yeah, it's a version of that, but it's a Lincoln, right? It's, it's a different system. And so that can be translated, I think, better to the NFL than true air raid quarterbacks. And we haven't seen like the greatness take off, but obviously Baker Mayfield has been a successful starter. Jalen Hurts has been a successful starter uh, among others. Kyler Murray has been a successful starter and those were all Lincoln Riley products. They weren't just, you know, these air raid guys putting up gaudy numbers like, you know, Case Keenum or, or Graham Harrell or those guys. And so we saw, I think, in year one at USC with Caleb and Lincoln, where Caleb played great in that system and resulted in a Heisman Trophy season, resulted in 11 wins. This next season, and this was my only real concern, and I think it, it's easy to be corrected, and you kind of alluded to it in your question, is when things started going awry, because that first season, it was just like, it was like lockstep. It was, everything was working great. The offense was jumping on all cylinders. The only game where there was any sort of struggle really was week three against Oregon State, where Caleb led that game-winning drive, and they won 17-14. Year two, the defense was just awful. There was no trust that they would get any stops. And then the offense, with missing some of those pieces, wasn't quite firing on all cylinders. So we saw Caleb time and time again get out of the system and play mm-hmm. that hero ball t- mentality. And then we see in the bowl game, Miller Moss had never started a game for USC, throws for six touchdowns, 400 yards, historic night, holiday bowl record against the number 16 ranked defense in Louisville. Yeah, say what you want about Louisville. They were the 16th ranked team and 16th ranked defense and played all of their starters on defense. And Miller Moss, who had never started, just absolutely ripped them apart. And it's because he was truly within the Lincoln Riley system. So I'm giving this long-winded answer is we saw Caleb success in the system. And then we saw him kind of get out of it and play a little more hero ball. So the task for these evaluators and for the bears is what system can we provide and how much do we trust Caleb to play within the system or trust him to maybe do like Justin Fields has done for the last three years. And when it, when the going gets tough, I'm just going to trust my athleticism. And we know you can't really do that in the NFL when 
when you've got these all pro guys at every single level. So I don't know if that really answers your question, but it, that's the one evaluator concern that I'm not like, I'm not saying he's not worth taking. But that's the one, if there's a red flag for it, anything that that's what it is for me. No, I think it's a great answer because I think it's, it's food for thought. And we're joined here by um, LA football networks, Ryan Dyrut here, here on sports talk Chicago, because just what I think is really important. And, and I bears fans has kind of lived through it. And you, you alluded to it very briefly um, for people that, aren't Justin Fields fans, they will constantly say, well, you can't just go off of the Twitter videos, the flashes of brilliance and greatness, because I think that they wanted something more from a consistent level. And I think what Bears fans and what I'm trying to get to and hopefully trying to help um, provide a shed of light on here today a little bit is exactly what you're talking about with Caleb Williams. I can go on Twitter right now or I can go on social media, YouTube, whatever, and find him, you know, outside the pocket, making three guys miss chucking a laser across the field and it's a 35 yard completion that's great um you want a quarterback that can do that but i think really i'm kind of more curious about what does the dude do on second and six yeah and i think at the end of the day bears fans midwest broad shoulders you know bread and butter getting off the bus running the football you know i think we want all the brilliance that caleb williams can bring to the table but i also think that they're more interested in what does he do on second and six. So when he is inside of Lincoln Riley's system, when he's playing it, can you give us a little bit of a glimpse into what you like and maybe what you don't like? You you did a little bit of what you don't like in terms of Caleb Williams in the pocket, um, but do you think that that's a little bit of an overblown concern about Caleb Williams' ability to operate within the pocket? Yeah, I think it's he's proven he can do it. It's just a matter of Willie. So there was, for instance, there was a lot of times last year and being in the press box, you get that nice, you know, bird's eye view where you can see the whole field. And there were a lot of times when, you know, there would be receivers open on, on the first read, first or second read, and he wouldn't pull the trigger. He'd wait too long and maybe it didn't result in a sack, but maybe then ended up resulting in those heroics that get the highlights. But in reality, the play was there on the first read. You had Brendan Rice open on just a simple slant route. So I think, and that's, I think, Again, not a huge, huge concern because that can be, I think, altered. And we saw him do it in the first year. It's just getting back to, okay, trusting the play that was called and stick with that instead of having these, I want the big play. I want to you know, show off these skill sets. One thing, I am going back to the Pat Mahomes comparison, and and I was one of the <laughs> – I, I truly believe I was one of the first to actually make that comp. It was last year uh, before the Notre Dame game. It was you. You started this. Yes, you started yes. this unfair parallel for a future Bears quarterback. How dare you? And what, what's, what I love about comps, but what I hate is I love doing comps because I'm doing it strictly on play style, not necessarily play skill or, or you know what, what they can become. Mm-hmm. When you watch Caleb play, his escapability, the arm angles he can throw with, the no-look passes, all that is Mahomes-esque. Not saying he's going to go win three Super Bowls in his first five years, but that style. What Mahomes now, and this is getting to your question, what Caleb will need to do, what Mahomes has become so good at, everyone talks about the highlight plays, but Mahomes for 90% of the game is boring as hell. If you watch that Super Bowl game, it was dink and dunk the entire game until they needed a Mahomes heroics in the game. And then everyone's like, oh, there's Mahomes. If you watch the Kansas City offense, ever since teams and defenses went to cover two and two high safeties, he could the long ball went away, especially when they lost Tyreek Hill. There is no long ball. Mahomes is in the bottom of the league in terms of air yards or a dot per play. Because he's not as I know everyone hates the term dink and dunk, but he plays within the system of, hey, let's methodically move the ball down the field. 
Let's play within Andy Reid's system. And then we can hit the big play when we lull the defense to sleep. Caleb Williams, I think, absolutely has that ability. What's going to be is when he gets to the NFL is, will you trust doing that within the system? And then when we need you to put on those heroics and show those Caleb Williams highlights that everyone's seen, then you do that. We don't need it on 40 plays of the game. We need it on two. The rest of the game be boring through the system. I think he can do it. Last year's tape didn't show a lot of it. Year one's tape did show a lot of it. So hopefully he can get back to year one, or I guess I'm saying year one, but year two for him, year one for USC. And and play within that. So I, I don't know that that didn't totally answer your question because you asked him more Lincoln Riley, but I think that's the trajectory he needs to kind of wade through this process. Uh, two more here for Ryan Dyroot here on Sports Talk Chicago. Yeah, look, I mean, kind of a little bit of what I'm getting at too as well, and and I think what what Mahomes does so well. And look, what I said in the first segment was if the Chicago Bears get if Caleb Williams is 33 percent as good as Patrick Mahomes is for the Chicago Bears, that means he wins one Super Bowl. Yeah. Damn it. Damn it. We're taking it. I'm just saying that's it's it's such a lofty bar. But I think what's interesting and what you're what you're alluding to is I don't know if it's the structure or style of Andy Reid's defense uh, offense or something that Mahomes has matured into that Caleb Williams will also have to mature into and cross that bridge is that he can work that fourth option every once in a while. And I think that's why they, they made it to the Super Bowl. He always had Travis Kelsey, he had Isaiah Pacheco. He found Rasheem Rice late in the season, and that became the third guy. And then every once in a while, you'd see, oh, Justin Watson. Oh, an MV. You know, every once in a while, find that fourth person. And I think if you look at the numbers with Justin Fields, it was quite obvious that it was Cole Komet, DJ Moore, or Bust. Every other target, I mean, the targets were way low for any other receiver, and the, the, the consistency in production just wasn't there, even from a third guy. So I think that's what you're talking about with Caleb Williams in the pocket is can he be able to manipulate and get to maybe that third or fourth guy? And then that's when you start to ascend to that elite level. I got two more for you. One of them, obviously, I just want to kind of continue to clear up some of the negative perceptions out there about Caleb, and then we're going to end on a really high positive one. I was going to say, I wanted to get into which one can you debunk for us, be a myth buster, if you will, or which one do you think is more real? And which one do you think Bears fans need just to forget about? Uh, I want to go personality versus... As you mentioned, Caleb's propensity to sometimes run into sacks and his ability for ball security in terms of fumbling the football. Um, which one do you think is probably a bigger myth or which one do you think that's probably easier to clean up? His off-field personality stuff, The for people that don't know, he paints his fingernails. People gave him a hard time because, oh, dear God, he cried after a loss. Um, God forbid. Um, when Arnold Palmer retires, he cries. When Jordan wins a title, he cries. When Tiger Woods wins a title, he cries. But when a guy loses, you can't cry. Um, so is it the personality of Caleb Williams or is it more the on-field ball security running into sacks, that type of stuff? I would, I would argue both shouldn't be huge concerns. They'll obviously be looked at and there'll be tons of stories. That, that's, a, that's unfortunate about this time of year, the draft process. Everyone's looking for those negative scoops. Um, so, I'll, but I'll talk more on the personality, you know, there's some things obviously like any 20, 21 year old kid, uh, can improve upon. Um, and I, so I don't want to say that he can't, but I, I think it's way overblown. I mean, the, the fingernail thing, it was a, a fun thing for him. He actually, you did it for charity. Like they raised a ton of money for charity while doing that. So there in reality, there was a good cause. No one really talked about that. Um, the, you know, crying after some games, I mean, Michael Penix cried after multiple games, I think just because he was who he was played for USC for LA and being just this 
basically proclaimed next great quarterback, the microscope was just super, super hot on him. And so, you know, we see that all the time of guys doing that for me, the only, so I have zero concern with any of that. The only like concern at all was sometimes how he handled and talked with media, you know, USC prides themselves on preparing players for media. It's what they've been known for throughout the years. You talk to any former players from SC, they all talk about what USC meant to them. And obviously they can go in the list, but they all mention like how it prepared them for the media of the NFL, the next level. And there were definitely moments when he either shied away, kind of snapped back a little bit, or even the one game where he ended up not making himself available, whether that was Lincoln Riley's call or whatever, that's a whole different story. But those are things that, again, I think they can easily be corrected. I think he's got a good camp behind him. He's a super smart kid. He just, he cares a lot. Um, but those would be the ones where I'm like, hey, those those are not good looks. I don't think it's where you're not going to pick him because of that. He's got no off the field issues. There's no like, you know, stuff where he's doing bad things off campus where yeah. his friends didn't go to his birthday party or whatever. There's none of that. Like all that's good. <laughs> there's just some there's some tutoring, I think, that could be a little better in, in terms of handling that. Um, and then the on the field stuff, I'll just be really quick. There was a, you know, some moments where he ran into sacks and had some, some fumbling stuff. I don't think that's a huge issue. I think it'll just be more kind of what we talked about top of the show of him playing within the system, not trying to do too much. Sitting here eating my pancakes, Ryan. And I'm thinking about, I don't know, maybe trading the number one pick. Um, final one. Let's get you out of here on this. Um, thank you so much for taking the time in. I mean, these are just questions that I think Chicago bears fans, um, need to ask, and you're providing so much great intel and information. We're just trying to, we're just curious, you know what I mean? We're trying to learn mm-hmm. um, a lot about a guy that honestly can completely change our franchise and a franchise that frankly has never had a quarterback in my lifetime. Um, I was a wee little baby when Jim McMahon came on the scene um, and injuries obviously cut short his career. Mm-hmm. So my final one for you, let's just keep it super simple. If you were general manager Ryan Poles um, or if you were his consigliere in the front office, um, what are you doing are you drafting caleb williams number one or are you trading the hall for justin fields and then also just give us a little sneak peek um do you think caleb williams i don't know about living up to the hype but do you think he has that pro bowl caliber type quarterback in him can he be a top eight guy in the league and in the nfc specifically another part of your backyard could he also maybe in the next two or three years become a top three four quarterback in the nfc yeah so I, I, I rooting for Justin field. I never root for against guys. Like, you know, these guys are fulfilling their dreams. They've got so much pressure on them. So I'm rooting for him. But if I'm Ryan Poles, I, I stopped thinking about this back in October or whenever they, they got the first pick. I mean, it's Caleb Williams to me. Um, I watched every game with them. He's the most fun player I've ever been able to witness um, playing. So uh, just the excitement, I think he'll bring back to soldier field in Chicago, I think is worth it alone. And, and it, not that Chicago needs help selling tickets or whatever, but I think he'll fill seats just for that regard. But I think there is the upside is just too good to pass on, you know, will there be some, some hurdles and will there be maybe some, some bumps the road? Sure. You're going to have that with every rookie quarterback, but that ceiling is just so high. And I think what we've seen from Justin Fields is we still don't really know what the ceiling is. Like, has he reached the ceiling? We think he can be better where the ceiling with Caleb, there's a lot of unknown hasn't played in the NFL yet, but that ceiling can be top five quarterback in the NFL. In my opinion, that's the talent he has. Unfortunately, being all the pressure that he's had since winning the Heisman, since potentially being the number one overall pick, it's just so hard to live up to that. So it's really going to be on him and his his personality, which we just talked about, how he handles that. Now, being from the L.A. market and and he's had to deal with a lot, so I think that 
didn't always handle it well, as I just said, but at least mm-hmm. it prepared him to like, okay, that's what I need to progress on and be better um, as I join this Chicago Bears team. So do I think he can be a pro bowler? 100%. Do I think he can be the be- top quarterback in the NFC? I mean, when you look at the landscape of even just the NFC um, your division, the NFC North, I think he could be the best in the, in the North. When you look at, you know, Jordan Love, it looked really well. I think that's a little premature how people are already proclaiming him the next Rodgers and Brett Favre, but, you know, he did improve and looked good. Jared Goff, love Jared Goff. He was a former Ram guy, but we know what his ceiling is. You know, he's a pocket guy that can be accurate if there's no pressure. Um, and then Minnesota, who knows if they're going to bring back Kirk or, or if they're going to be drafting someone at 11. So I think Caleb can be the top quarterback in the NFC North, which have the Bear fans ever been able to say that? So to me, that's why you take him one overall right off the bat. Ryan Tyree, thank you so much for joining Sports Talk Chicago. Uh, everyone, check out LA Football Network. Um, LAFB is a great way to to find it. Um, network. Um, Ryan, man, you do such great work, man. Um, thank you for coming on, bringing us a little insight. I uh, might be tapping you on the shoulder a couple months from now uh, if we do actually select Mr. 13 at number one. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time for joining the show, man. Good to see you, brother. Thank you, my brother. Always a pleasure. Good to hear from you. You do great work as well. So looking forward to seeing what goes down the next few months. Thank you so much. Stick around, everybody. We got one more segment to go. I'm talking baseball. I might be angry. John Meadows, get the dump button ready. We're talking White Sox and Cubs coming up next. Final segment coming up here on Sports Talk Chicago with John Zaglul. Again, Joey Christopoulos filling in for John. We wish him health and happiness over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to be filling in for the next show or two. Again, before we go, I just want to thank all of our wonderful affiliates that are involved with listening and broadcasting and supporting Sports Talk Chicago, like 98.3 The Life, WKAN, 105.5 The Ticket, ACTV, JEDTV, JEDTV, WJOB, Cities, 92.9 Talk FM, and 101.1 Peora Sports Radio, the newest one there. More affiliates. Look, Sports Talk Chicago is all about trying to get as much great sports content out to the good people in the Midwest, the Chicago area, and also throughout all the state of Illinois, too, as well. Because when we say Chicago, we often forget about the state of Illinois. We are all Midwesterners, so it's important to us to do it. So final segment, this is going to be super quick uh, because we're running out of time. I just want to talk a little baseball really quick with the Chicago Cubs and the Chicago White Sox. I know north-south. We got to pick our sides here, but there is one thing that I think Cubs fans and Sox fans can both agree on, and it's this. We are being sold a false bill of goods at 35th and on Addison. They're different, but they're both a false bill of goods. And here's the first reason why. First one, the White Sox one is super easy, right? I mean, Chris gets... It's sort of this fun little game of Jerry Reinsdorf kind of opened up his office, looked down the hallway, saw Chris Getz and said, you're the next one. And then ever since then, Chris Getz has kind of been opening up his phone, which I think is an old flip phone, and dialing up all of his old teammates, all the old guys that dusting off all the old uh PDFs of the first scouting reports that he ever typed up because literally it seems like the Chicago White Sox are only interested in bringing in players from the Kansas City Royals organization or have some sort of adjacent tangential tie to Chris Getz either as a player or as a talent evaluator post his career. It's pretty crazy if you think about it because The Chicago White Sox right now are on pace to win about 62 games, which means they're on pace to lose 100 games. And you have to ask yourself the question. There are plenty of people out there. There's an Eddie Rosario, 
Um, there's a Mike Lorenzen. There's a lot of players out there that the Chicago White Sox could have easily added on short one to two year deals to at least get them to the area where they could be semi-competitive. I'm not saying signing these guys would turn them into a playoff team, but come on now. You don't think Whit Merrifield wouldn't get them at least closer to 78 wins? And I know typically the thing is you don't want to sign veterans because you have young kids coming up. This is not the case with the Chicago White Sox right now. They got nobody coming up. They got nobody on deck. They got nobody on the field right now. So you're telling me that the Chicago White Sox basically are saying, look, we're not going to spend the extra 20 to 25 million on our payroll to pick up two or three players that would make us at least semi-competitive, which they the bare minimum deserve for White Sox fans because it would just be a waste of money. That's an insult to all White Sox fans out there. And they're telling you that, well, we're trying to get faster. Uh, we're trying to get better defensively. Uh, we want to see how some people develop. Do not buy that false bill of goods coming from 35th right now. Chris Getz, I don't know how to feel about Chris Getz because I don't even think he anticipated getting the job. And when he got the job, I think he's trying to maximize what he already knows and what he thinks he's capable of doing. And I'll tell you right now, he is not capable of knowing how to scour the entire major leagues right now. I don't think he's very capable in terms of the breadth of what his international scouting could possibly do. So I think for right now, he's like, let's just stick to what I'm good at, play to my strengths, and let's bring in Martin Maldonado. <laughs> I mean, I think that's where we're at with all that. Now, of course, we've got a couple more days. They can sign a couple of guys. They can start talking about banking on the health of Yohan Makata and Aloy Jimenez. But, I mean, look, if you want to get the best bang for your dollar out of Dylan Cease, you might as well put a team around him that can be competitive to help the guy win some games because he's going to have a great ERA and he's going to be 2-7 and seven by the month of May. And my final thought on that is the Jerry Reinsdorf thing, which is maybe a segment for a different episode in the future, wants $1 billion to build a new stadium. Well, meanwhile, he won't even pay $200 million to his ace, Dylan Cease. What does that say? Do not buy it for a second. On the other side of town, the Chicago Cubs, they're doing the same thing, but they're doing it in a different way. Last year, look, full context and transparency, I loved last year's team. Around July and August, I honestly thought that they had enough to make some serious noise in the postseason um, and surprise some people. I really did. Did they not really make enough moves other than Candelario at the deadline? Yes, but I still think that they had enough. And look, I think they ran out of gas. And you can make the argument that the Chicago Cubs probably played a little ahead of their skis, a little ahead of their projection last year and still only managed to get 83 wins. Granted, only one game out of the playoffs, but 83 wins nonetheless. Now, heading into this offseason, you get Craig Council, and all of a sudden you start thinking, well, maybe we're going to take a huge swing. Because what this team has always been missing, it's been missing it for a while now. They've done a great job on depth. They've done a great job on defense. They've done a good job, obviously, building the, 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 uh, the farm system back up, which is now number two in baseball. But again, the team is lacking star power. This is not something that I'm making up. A lot of people are saying it, but I completely agree with it. So you thought in the offseason, this is something that they were going to try and do. We didn't really get that, did we? 
Hector Neris, good player. Shota Imanaga, hopefully an entertaining, strong, productive player for the next couple of years. But again, you have the owner, Tom Ricketts, saying, well, I'm really excited to watch these prospects come up and see what happens. And I will tell you, that is a huge red flag as a baseball fan. If you remember, typically, owners and general managers will caution and preach patience to the fan base when they want these prospects to come up. Now, let's just make sure that we do it the right way. They come up, they're ready to play, and when they come up, they stay there. The fact that Jed and Tom are trouting out that they can't wait to see some of the young players play, I think is a cop-out, and I don't think Cubs fans should eat that up and buy into it because prospects are not guaranteed. And my other problem with it is why are you spending $177 million on Dansby Swanson when now you want to wait on some of these prospects that honestly might not be giving you the production that you need for two or three years. And by that two or three year period is over, Dansby Swanson will be at the end of his contract cycle or out of his prime. It isn't aligning. It isn't matching up. It isn't making sense. Now, to be fair, could the Chicago Cubs play competitive baseball and then maybe in the summer around the deadline take a big swing for a player like a Pete Alonso, go back to the Cleveland Indians and say, hey, can we re-kickstart these Jose Ramirez talks? Um, Sure. Of course they could do it, and they're leaving themselves the cap space to allow that to happen. I don't think signing Cody Bellinger says one thing or another necessarily about the direction of the Chicago Cubs. I'm just always very skeptical of Tom Ricketts, who goes out of his way to applaud the Arizona Diamondbacks for what they did last year, spending on the payroll that they had, when, oh, by the way, they have a star in Corbin Carroll, and oh, yeah, by the way, they went out and they spent more money this offseason than the Chicago Cubs did. This is the moment for the Chicago Cubs to take a step forward get into the dance, and like, let's roll the ball out. Let's see what happens. Sure, Atlanta would have given us a hard time last year, but other than that, I think they probably would have done. Okay, I'm not saying the same amount as the Arizona Diamondbacks, but hey, if the Chicago Cubs continue to pitch this notion that they will step up when the time is right to strike, I just don't think that time is ever going to come. They had the opportunity, cough, cough, Bryce Hopper. They had the opportunity, cough, cough, Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos. The list goes on and on, Trey Turner. I mean, these deals, they either get better or they get worse. And if you pass on them, that's fine. But keep in mind that the deals are always going to get worse. They want to play the kids. That's great. We've seen the Felix PAs, the Kevin Ories of the world. Not all of them make it. I'm rooting for all of them. But banking on that to be the reason why the Chicago Cubs fans should be pumped about the Chicago Cubs, I'm not buying it, and neither should you. We got to get out of here. I'm Joey Christopoulos. Thank you so much. I'm filling in right now for John Zaglul here on Sports Talk Chicago. Thank you to all of our wonderful affiliates. Thank you to our producer, John Meadows. If you're watching this on YouTube, comment and question below. Everyone, I really enjoyed this. Um, I hope to do it better next time, so come on back and listen. Um, Chicago sports, it's a great time right now. Connor Bedard, possibly a Caleb Williams baseball right around the corner. I mean, we've been in the doldrums, but we're coming back right now. So thank you so much for tuning in and keep that excitement up. And, and hey, always keep rooting for Chicago. Be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. We will talk soon. Sports Talk Chicago, we are out.